Welcome to Chamberlain Group's very first podcast series, Connected. I'm Colin Uthi, and I'm setting out to better understand what makes up our global presence by sitting down every month and speaking with people from different areas of the company, both organizationally and geographically. We're going to share stories that bridge different parts of the business in ways that may not be obvious, but are valuable, sometimes critical to our company strategy. So join me as I dive headfirst into the complex network of operations that make up Chamberlain Group. Let's get connected. Supply chain is a term that the average consumer might not have even heard before the pandemic. In the last two years, you've most likely heard someone complaining about the supply chain when their order got delayed or while gazing upon empty department store shelves. You've probably even said it yourself. When we talk about the supply chain in this way, it's implied that we're referring to the vast and complicated global system that, in the simplest terms, gets things where they need to go. When we buy something on a website, that item is loaded onto a truck and delivered to our door. Before that, it's sorted from a different truck and stored in a warehouse. Before that, it sits on a colossal freighter ship crossing the ocean for sometimes an entire month. Before that, it's constructed in a factory, and before that, the plastics and metals that make up that item have to be processed and refined when they're extracted from the earth. All of these steps, what gets us our stuff, is categorized into what we know as the global supply chain. From a business perspective, supply chain is sometimes referred to as the backbone of service economy. But much like a backbone, it's fragile. And if it takes a direct hit, it can cause severe damage throughout the rest of the structure. I sat down with Kim Thornton and Noe Sanchez to discuss their firsthand involvement and perspective in Chamberlain Group's own supply chain. Kim started with Chamberlain Group back in 2019. She started as the Director of Integrated Business Planning, Before that, she worked for several other household names in supply chain-related positions. After three years in her original role, Kim took a new title called the Supply Chain Center of Excellence Director, or COE, as some call it. Kim's job is to align different resources within her department towards a common strategy. Yeah, I think if you look at, um, and this is industry standard, a lot of organizations have a center of excellence that looks at overall strategy. Underneath strategy, you've got um, the analytics side of it, you've got project management, you got whether it's um, productivity, cost of avoidance, um, and then as well as our systems. So within um, our supply chain systems, you've got our IBP platform, which are several different platforms within that, um, our transportation, and then our warehouse management system. And then as well as our overall processes. So as you think about work instructions and lean council and um, black belts, like someone that helps house that. But it's also um, taking current talent within Chamberlain that has some of the knowledge and then hiring some existent talent that we haven't had. So my team's a pretty blended team, which I think is pretty exciting. But it also will help to create some talent, right, as we build out the pipeline. Would it... uh would it be accurate for me to say that you are the supply chain's people person? I think so. I, I try to hold the group together. I try to sit in the middle and say, make sure we're all connected because it's hard when you're kind of zoned and you own, whether it's logistics, transportation planning, or the BU um, business operations manager, I try to make sure that we're all holding hands and moving together. We're doing what's right, right, from enterprise, not just, not just each individual department. Noe's journey with Chamberlain has a couple of chapters to it. 
He started his career back in 2000 as a materials manager in Nogales. He left for a few years to pursue other opportunities, but a few persistent phone calls eventually brought him back as a liaison between the plant and the corporate headquarters. After that, he eventually transitioned into the director of supply planning and network flow. I mean, everybody's shouting at me when we don't have inventory. That's really what it is. <laughs> Whenever um, people is looking for some inventory and we don't find anything, that's, that's me. Um, so, yes, I'm in charge of uh, making sure we support our demand and uh, making sure that the uh, finished good is flowing through our uh, network uh, to support our, our customer needs. I learned a lot and I was able to uh, understand um, the full supply chain through living it in, in, in Chamberlain. Kim and Noe were both working at Chamberlain in March of 2020 when the global supply chain stopped dead in its tracks. We talked about their first reactions, their responses, the ongoing recovery, and plans for resilience to prevent anything like this from happening in the future. It was that Friday, March 20th, if I'm right. It was, guys, pick up your stuff, take what you need to, and we're going to figure it out from here. But Stay I mean, home. yes, mm-hmm. like it, the whole news was going on. We we're all watching it. So everybody took what they needed to to get through their jobs. And then, you know, they worked really well from an HR and leadership team to communicate. But I remember packing up my desk and took what I needed to to make sure I could do my job. And that's what we all did. And we were up on the fourth floor and grabbed our stuff. See you back in two weeks. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Something like that. Something like that. For six weeks, the Chamberlain Manufacturing Plant along with all other non-essential businesses in Nogales, were shut down completely. I've been told that supply chain did anticipate, simulate a couple of different disasters that could have impacted manufacturing, but the pandemic was not one of those things that was anticipated. So we were not prepared for what happened. Um, we, we created some scenarios on um, not being able to uh, provide product to manufacture products for you know a few weeks. Uh, we did some scenarios if uh, some of our suppliers were uh, having issues, but um, never um, to the magnitude we went through. I think that's fair though. Like um, peers in supply chain, they had you know tornadoes, the border shut down, fires up at DC, you know, but. We weren't the only ones. Everybody else was not thinking of a pandemic like we were going through. Sure. So I thought that was interesting as you're um, speaking to peers or hearing from what other supply chains are dealing with. And um, it's interesting because nobody had that in their playbook. Between Chamberlain and several other businesses in the area, Nogales is primarily a manufacturing town. People who were able to work from home were told to do so. But for the majority of employees working the assembly line or maintaining the building, they were told to stay home and wait. So the, the, the people down there in, in the plant is, is really grateful to what the plant did while in um, the shutdown. The people was granted their salary intact, even though they weren't working. That wasn't something done by any company down there in the region. That was an strategy that really helped us bring back the people once uh, we restarted the operation. Something else we were 
the people in in um, uh, from HR down there in Nogales, they were preparing uh, um, food for people and providing and delivering to their houses. And that action really um, created a lot of gratitude out of uh, the people down there in the plant. It wasn't until after a lengthy, trailblazing legal victory that the plant was allowed to reopen. But reopening the plant was not as simple as turning the lights on either. COVID-19 was still just as present in our daily lives, and we needed to plan out and execute serious precautions to guarantee the safety of our workers. The protocols uh, implemented by, by the plant were outstanding. Uh, the, the people felt safe on um, going to work compared to other plants down in the area. And that permitted us uh, to reopen and ramp up back faster than other uh, companies. Yeah, you mentioned before we started rolling that, you know, we weren't the quickest when it came to ramping up production as opposed to some other companies around the area, but we remained open. You know, we avoided those shutdowns because of the safety protocols that we put in place. Some, uh, some of our, even some of our suppliers, they had to shut down several times. Yeah because they were having spikes in their facilities. Uh, that wasn't the case for Nogales. Uh, we stayed open uh, consistently. The HR team down there in the plant did uh, a, a great job maintaining the labor uh, needed uh, for us to ramp up and build up. So we, we built record months of um, production down there in the plan, and that really permitted us to uh, support the big demand we were having back then in 2020. When Chamberlain and the rest of the world started to resume their production, this is when things started to get out of sync, because not everyone opened up at the same time. Some of Chamberlain's own suppliers had to shut back down and wait to reopen until it was safe to do so, causing shortages and bottlenecks for materials. So the, the, the same way we work with, with the commercial teams about having the right inventory, talking to customers, the, the same uh, synergy happened within the OSC team. Uh, we had so many challenges and the team was uh, really fighting to, to resolve them between uh, the team in sourcing, purchasing, uh, up to transportation team, uh, obviously the planning team and the manufacturing team, all working with the challenges um, of not having parts and, and, uh, and building uh, the, the right stuff. Um, and you, you mentioned it, that offline, right? It's like playing Tetris and connecting you know, putting the one piece at a time. Um, so so the, the OSC team did a great job on, you know, understanding the problems and, and solve one thing at a time. Yeah, I think as you think about, um, you know, the bearer of bad news, I remember like Fitzgerald would always say, inflation, here you go, as he's looking at costs, right? And we're trying to figure out what the, the BUs, if they want to approve air freight. And so first everybody was trying to, 
get their their items right to the ports, and then the ports congested, and then it came capacity with the air freighting, mm-hmm. and then the because everybody's were, trying to do this. At yeah, the same time, we were all right? going to the same port, and then there was a labor. You know, so then we switched the ports. Remember Alex moving it over, so so, so did everybody else. So it was like trying to look at the lead times and the, the items we need, the right mix, right, and make sure we're not doing any more costs that are needed from an air freighting. Um, but it was crazy because it's literally like we have, there's eight parts we need and we might only have six. And then by the way, I got to figure out when the rest of them are coming in. Um, and then you, you know, you're constrained on trucks and. Did you have to, to fight anybody for, for some materials at certain times? Yeah. Sourcing the, uh, several <laughs> negotiations <laughs> with, with tough negotiation with suppliers to, um, to increase or share or deviate a little bit from. From other yeah, it's cutthroat companies. out there with the material bidding, right? Everybody was fighting. Um, I think that Jeff's gotten into several different conversations, whether it was Stuart had a lot of them, right? And then as well as Meredith would like help support that of getting on phone. But yeah, they, fought, <laughs> they, they had a lot of those conversations. Wow. <laughs> Surprisingly, the biggest uncertainty during this period was not supply. It was demand. So everybody was fighting as we were standing, fighting for the parts, making sure we could support um, that that unexpected demand because everybody was thinking that everything was going to be slowing down. Mm-hmm. And it happened uh, the, the opposite. The people just was um, clicking at their computers, <laughs> expecting the same, <laughs> ordering everything. And instead of going to the gym, to the theater, to have dinner, they started spending oh, stuff yeah. in, in gyms, in People you know, renovating fixing, their houses. Fixing their houses. And th- that really created, you know, um, these, uh, some of the problems, some of the problems that, that, that happened. It's important to note that this started happening before production even started to ramp back up. People weren't getting their stuff, and they were getting angry about it. In everyday conversation, supply chain quickly became the buzzword that people could point the blame to. And they weren't totally wrong. A delicate system rattled by global crisis and an unpredictable scenario. Millions of people staying home with nothing to do except buy. We didn't know how customers were going to behave. I mean, nobody did. And so that was the one thing of trying to figure out what we need to think about from a future and start putting that in demand plan to help um, flow through materials and then as well as no waste production planning. Um, So that was a big conversation at first because we did think we're going to take, like, we're all, we got to bring it down. And we did. We saw the complete opposite. So we had to get back in a room. We worked with marketing. We worked with sales. Um, you got your order entry team. And that's all coming up while the plant was shut down. Uh huh. Wow. Yeah. As we're going through and looking at daily communication, where we're at from inventory, we, we're focusing our A and B SKUs right and seeing what our inventory levels were slowly coming down to, and then also like getting back in the room to figure out what we need to start prioritizing from an order perspective. Like I, I don't think we've ever talked to. Um, whether it be like the order entry team or sales or marketing as much as we did this past like two years. Normally it's going through and coming up with our demand plan, our consensus, and then during our SNLP meetings and trying to figure out where we're, what we, you know, we're going to land from our risk and opportunity. But I felt like we literally have spent more time together in the last two years than I ever have. It sounds like you guys moved the mark quite a few times, you know, yeah. just anticipating for everything to open back up whenever it could happen. I'm sure you had to re-strategize a handful of times before we even got to that next step. That was a daily work, <laughs> basically. <laughs> we were we were doing scenario planning on a daily basis, tracking, as uh, Kim was stating, uh, tracking inventory position, trying to understand the behavior of the market, 
um, and trying to be prepared to uh, once we were ready to open, uh, we were doing it the most efficient way, uh, supporting as much as we could our customer. With customer habits acting as a bit of a wild card at this point, Noe's team doubled down on their focus to supply, while Kim's team tried to make sense of how customers were behaving when locked up in their houses. It was obvious at this point to the whole world that supply chain priorities needed to adjust. The industry is not looking for the best cost anymore, but the right cost, making sure they have resiliency in, into their, their, their supply. And it's very customer-centric. Uh, the customer is used to get what they are thinking they need and the supply chain. They need to be agile in order to react to what that customer is going to be asking. So, so yeah, definitely many industries and companies are rethinking their supply chain and reviewing their priorities. I understand that with the acquisition from Blackstone, we were able to get a bunch of extra help with that selective sourcing. Is that correct? That that is correct, and that's a total uh, full podcast for for yeah. you. <laughs> uh, I think Jenny is doing a great job on understanding the resources from Blackstone, uh, and um, yeah, they are even um, she's rethinking their full uh, sourcing. Um, so David coming in with like, David coming in. Yeah, we got some new talent. Oh right? yeah. yeah, and like his knowledge and what he's done with the Blackstone portfolios, like he's going to be a great addition for the team. And he, I think it was like week two and we were out at a conference and Jenny's like, oh no, he's helping with the outside storage or helping for locations. And like, he, he's got a whole strategy that he's putting into place and getting his team on board. Like he's going to, he's going to do some great things for us that um, we probably haven't had set up in the past because we hadn't needed to. How are we expecting this sourcing to strengthen our supply chain? I think um, it's not only you can't just look at cost, right? But you got to look at lead time. Um, I know a lot of times we do stuff overseas, but then you're paying for air freight when you have it a little closer, maybe in shorter lead time, and not have to pay all the extra expedited. But also looking to get somebody that could be like dual sourced or have materials quicker. Um, I know that's a few things, but he's got a, a really big roadmap of stuff that he's working on. I think to make us um, be more flexible and agile for materials. And making sure that uh, that goes and evolves with our products, yeah. right? We cannot keep using the same components that were used 20, 30 years ago. Okay. Uh, we need to, um, as, as we get not only the best cost, but we, we need to make uh, more partners, more partners that work to us and they understand our vision of where we're going and they support us. There's a strong focus here in evolution to our current systems and processes. While our sourcing gets a revamp, so do our tools. As a company, we've been steadily implementing SAP systems year after year as part of a long-term digitization project. Kim and Noe are currently involved in the launch of an SAP system called Response and Supply. This will, in short, help us track inventory and fulfill orders with much greater accuracy. 
I think it goes along with our investment in technology. So if you think about our roadmap, we've already launched um, sales and operations. Um, last year, we launched uh, IBP Demand, which helps with demand sensing, statistical modeling to help predict customer behaviors. And then the response and supply module is actually the, one of the hardest to implement because it's more cross-functional. If you think about response, that's um, more or less from how we are doing customer allocation, order promising. Um, and then the supply part of it was really going to help for knowing his team and to think about how they can actually get information quicker and faster. Um, for if you think about constrained and unconstrained, whether it's um, materials or labor, um, to do what-if analysis, but also like how long it takes you to do or full production plan. I think you said it was like three or four days and this could be done in three hours. Like think wow. about. <laughs> that was a huge time I saver. Mean, I think that, I don't know how many times I got asked to like, when are we going to be back in stock and when am I going to have this? Like, and he would be like, yep, I'll get back to you. Like, cause everybody was, you know, asking for all the materials and items to be back in stock, but it, it, it takes a lot of time because we just didn't have as much technology or even to be able to roll it up like we do during our exec SNOP meetings of um, materials that are out or um, constraints or production planning. So I think this is gonna not only help um, obviously the production planning team, but also within our customer care team, which is the order entry team and then sales to be able to help prioritize customers and orders. Um, and then from a planning to know when we're back in inventory or even helping balance out our network to make sure for our customers we have the right items at the right place, the right time. We are seeing an opportunity to, to provide um, uh, better information to our customers. Um, that's, that's what, that's what uh, we're shooting for and that's what we're expecting to get out of um, all digitizing our supply chain. Response and Supply is on track to launch at the very end of this year starting 2023 fresh with a brand new system and the processes to go with it. As the dust continues to settle on a worldwide crisis, the supply chain department and their adjacents are tirelessly analyzing and improving their current processes and technology. At the very end of our interview, I asked both Kim and Noe what keeps them in the industry despite the unorthodox challenges of the last few years? I think for me, it's more or less, um, obviously I, I enjoy working here, but I would say my team, like we had some long days, long nights, um, weekends, um, you know, scratching our heads and we're all going through this together, but like just staying connected and still like trying to figure out, have a sense of purpose working remotely, especially like how do we get on video? How do we do like a happy hour? How do we... I'm an ugly sweater party, um, <laughs> something, because you're not just seeing the same people you see every day um, at your house. Um, but I think for me, it was like the pride of them and what they're doing, um, not only my, my old team, but my new team and my new role, right? And knowing that we have some really great people that have a lot of knowledge. So I, I like the facts that especially with Noe, we can't make changes without understanding current state and why we ever did something the way we did. So a lot of them have that background and knowledge. And then as well as some of our new folks that are just thinking outside the box and brainstorming of different ways of doing things and um, different types of reporting needed. So for me, I would say it was the people. What doesn't kill you makes you stronger, right? Oh yeah. What about you, Noe? What keeps you in the industry? Yeah, I kind of I agree with, with Kim regards to the people and the passion. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm very passionate about it. And, you know, I was really in the middle of a, a problem and I wanted to solve it. That's one thing that kept me, that, that I said, no, I, 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 I'm not walking away. I'm 
I'm staying until the end. No way, Kim. Thank you again so much. Thank you for inviting us. Yeah, thank you. If someone asked me what I thought motivated the supply chain team, I would tell them it's passion, responsibility, and kinship. A system that both Kim and Noe spent the majority of their careers understanding and improving began to crumble. Despite all this, they held their teams together and seized the opportunity to make a system that was stronger and smarter than ever before. At the very core of our business, you'll find them, the literal movers and shakers that get our products where they need to go. Thank you for listening. Tune in next month to hear more stories that reveal how all of us at Chamberlain Group are connected. This episode was written, recorded, and edited by me, Colin Uthi. Our producer is Thomas Mazula. Our music was supplied by Pixabay.com. Special thanks to Baskar Maji, Jeff Stewart, and the Chamberlain Corporate Communications team. <laughs>